Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 253 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, November 22nd, 2020. The college basketball season starts in three days. Take a second and think about that. The college basketball season starts in three days. We have to talk about Duke basketball. There was no Duke football this week because the game was COVIDed out. So we don't have to worry about any of that. We are full on basketball today. We have basically two topics to cover before we get to them. I am your host for this episode, Sam Klein. I am pleased to be joined, as always, by Donald Wine, who is coming to us from his home in Washington, D.C. Good morning, Donald. A very, very early good morning to you all. Uh, it, it, it's it's weird. This is the longest offseason we've ever had to experience, and it's almost over. I'm not going to jinx it because there's still three days for COVID to mess this up, but as of right now, we're we're at the we're close to the finish line. We can see it. Let's just run through it. Absolutely. Let's let's do that. It also feels like it's been the busiest offseason ever for this show. So I don't know how those two things are related. Maybe Jason Evans, who is my other uh, friend on the show here today, can shed some light there. Well, I think it's because there has been so little going on outside of our homes that we have tried to do so much with this podcast to give people something to distract them from the insanity that is COVID apocalypse. All of that to say, we appreciate you all sticking with us because it has been such a long and strange off season, but we hope that that we've pumped out enough content to keep you thinking about Duke basketball during all of the malaise of, of this particular summer of 2020. However, it is now fall. It's even late fall. It's almost winter, which means the college basketball season is long overdue to begin two traditions for fans of this show that we will be visiting today. The first is the, well, what normally is Countdown to Craziness, which is an in-person event where they play the blue-white scrimmage and do all kinds of other shenanigans around Duke basketball. It's gotten crazier and crazier every year, and and this year they did the whole thing virtually, of course, because of the pandemic. J.J. Redick was the host, and he highlighted how crazy it's gotten over the years. So what we're going to do first is review that. And then the second tradition that we have here is the stats prediction game where I go through a list of uh, stat leadership and, and numbers, and we all try to guess them. And at the end of the season, we see who won this year. I think what we'll do is open up a poll on the DBR forum and have folks vote for all the various things. So I can just keep a, a list of like, not individual submissions, although people can feel free to post those themselves, but at least what the DBR community thinks for who's going to score the most points, who's going to get the most rebounds, et cetera, et cetera, and go down the list. And maybe if the DBR community beats us, then I don't know, one of us gets killed off this show or something. We'll figure that out later. That's a, that's a, it seems rash down the road. That seems like, yeah, it does seem like a little much for a stat prediction game. I am just making this up (laughs) as I go along, of course. So why don't we, why don't we get started with the first and most important topic. Most important? I don't know. Really depends on your Not point most of view. important. Not, Not most important. important. Entertaining. Is... Most entertaining, that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, none of this is important. That's the key. Virtual countdown to craziness. So as I said, normally this event is in person. I think it's usually like 90 minutes or two hours in Cameron where they do play a little scrimmage and sometimes they do a dunk contest. But 
it feels like over the last few years, it's really become more about the hype videos and the player intros and, and all the kind of other stuff that goes on. And this year it was full on the other stuff and basically no basketball. So if you tuned in thinking that you were going to finally get that uncut scrimmage footage that you might hope from getting in the blue white game, we are very sorry to disappoint you. However, there was a lot of entertaining content, as I said, that was highlighted, moderated by JJ Redick. And we wanted to talk about all of what's in the video. So Donald Wine, I'll come to you first. Give me your overall impression of Virtual Countdown and maybe maybe give me some of your highlights from the evening. Well, first, I, I want to shout out JJ because I think that in a way that was the perfect host for this movie that, they, that they're calling Countdown because... One, he, he's brilliant. If you if all of you out there have listened to his podcast and you should, in addition to this one, uh, he's very, very good on, on the mic. He's very good at interviewing and, and, and giving people a story. Uh, and he was able to kind of paint this countdown tale. The other thing is he's still in that bracket. He's he's a little bit younger than me, which means he's old enough that these players that are on this team probably don't remember him playing. And they don't remember that he had to mention that, Hey, back when I was in school, we didn't have countdown to craziness. We just had a blue white scrimmage where they came out and they did like a couple of like 10 minute halves of basketball. And everyone was like, cool. We'll see you in a couple of weeks for the season. Now it's a, a production and to advance to this point, I think is tremendous. And I think that bridging that gap of the brotherhood uh, from just what a lot of us they remember as being just yesterday to today, uh, is that kind of dichotomy was not lost to me. The other thing, Donald, is it yeah. possible? Is it possible that the fact that JJ Redick went to Duke is like a fun fact for some of these people, or is he too famous of a Duke guy? Cause like the guys who are now freshmen on this team were like three and four years old when JJ Redick graduated. So they don't remember him playing. Right. But, <laughs> but, but I, I don't know, or maybe it's just for college students, but he might've been too famous for that. Well, at the same time, like, they still they know him like if they've gone to Duke, he's he's his name is in the rafters, his numbers in the rafters. He's all over the place when you go to the Hall of Honor. He, all his his memories that you have of him uh, just dominating people in college is ever present in Cameron. So it's still where they like if you go to Duke, you're going to know who J.J. Redick is. Just like when I went to Duke, they're like, yo, you better know who Bobby Hurley and Danny Ferry and, and Christian Leitner, even though I didn't see them play in college. I, you know, or I, you know, it was very young. I remember them playing, but I got to learn more about them in college. These guys are going to learn more about JJ and even the audience out there. These students are going to be like, man, that JJ actually is kind of cool. And, you know, follow that throughout his NBA career. But I, I keep going because I think this highlighted the best part of camp of countdown to me, which is introducing the players and their personalities. We've gotten to see a little bit of it in some of these videos that Duke Blue Planet has posted throughout the summer, but really Countdown is where you get to know these players' personalities. And I will say, DJ Stewart is probably going to be my favorite player on this team. He has amazing energy. I love his personality. You can tell he's a lot of fun. And in and and all the little skits that they were doing or the TikToks and stuff, he was killing it. Like, those sort of things are what endear fans to players. And usually you get to see that up close. But now you kind of get to see it in, in a pol more polished format. And I think it even brought out more of his personality, which I think was cool. Uh, I, I have plenty more uh, that I could talk about. But I, I, Jason, I want to see what you, what you uh, 
highlighted from this one. So I agree with you. I love that JJ was the host, uh, even though I, I, I guess they picked a library for him to record this in. It was like the most bizarre setting. Here's the funny thing. Here's the other thing that I noted. If you notice behind him, all the books are in color are color coordinated. Uh, JJ Reddick. JJ Reddick is a color coordinated yeah. library guy, not a not a subjects or, or titles or in alphabetical alphabet order yeah. guy. He's a he's a color of book guy. Yeah. So I believe I I actually I actually did a little bit of examining of what was behind him. There were a lot of DVDs. Like I saw a DVD for Zathura, which is a old sci-fi ch- child sci-fi movie. This is definitely like the children's. Um, DVD section of the library, I think, but it was definitely a library. And those books were not, they didn't, didn't get color coded by JJ. I think those are series of, of reference books or something like that, that were behind him. But we're spending way too much time on where JJ Reddick was sitting. Although I want the story of what library allowed JJ Reddick to record a video of countdown uh, in their library. I, I, to me, this was, this was a fun movie. I mean, I, I love the, the quality of the production and, and a lot of what they, you know, what they put out there was great, but it wasn't, there was no basketball in this. Um, Donald said, you know, it was about showing us the personalities of the players. And we definitely got a little bit of that. We did not get a, you know, even the tiniest scintilla of a, of a sense of what the basketball was, which I guess is fine. I'm a little disappointed that the Duke media team couldn't come up with some ways of doing something fun that involved a ball going in the hole, you know, <laughs> a basket being made here or there, a dribble here or there. We, uh, you know, this was, but, but it was, uh, you know, this wasn't designed for me. This was designed really for the players and for their generation. And you know that because they had all the stuff, you know, TikToks and things like that, that are more a younger generation. The best segment I thought was the Duke booth where we had these guys doing play-by-play calls of classic plays from Duke history. And there were a couple that I wanted to highlight really quick. First one is uh, when, when uh, Jason Tatum dunks the life out of North Carolina and uh, Henry Coleman had a great line. He goes, he's going to be paid millions for that. I, I just had tears rolling down my cheeks. But I, I like because obviously we now know Jason Tatum is paid millions, going to be paid big, big, big money. He'll probably be one of the top earning Duke basketball players of, of all time. And, and here's Henry Coleman. He's going to be paid millions for that. I thought that was hysterical. And the other one, was I really loved Saverino, Worthington, and Buckmeyer, the 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 trio of walk-ons. Um, they did uh, Sean Dockery beating Virginia Tech, and and Buck. Oh my God, Buck had the best line. He goes, they were talking about the poor Virginia Tech guys who just had you know a win taken from them in the most harsh way possible. He goes, that's going to be a long bus ride home, and I, th- that I just I was howling with laughter. I thought that was hysterical. I was thinking about that. That line also stuck out to me. And I was thinking that he knows probably what that feels like to be on the four hour. Because the bus ride home from Durham to Blacksburg is not fun. It's not close. It is like like just far enough away that you probably can't justify flying unless you've got Duke money. So it's possible that Virginia Tech drives home from there. It's like three and a half hours to Blacksburg. And a lot of it is on like country roads. Man, that's gotta suck if you if you just lost the game in heartbreaking fashion. Oh, I feel so sorry for those poor guys from Virginia Tech. <laughs> Man, but that that it looked like it was a lot of fun to be in Cameron that night. I'll tell you what. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and then the last thing for me, I, I thought the the superhero video and poster 
was really it was beautiful animation. I mean, props. I'm I'm I don't know whether they hired a unit or if they got, you know, Duke students. I I sort of hope they got you know uh, Duke, maybe even grad students or something to put that together. I, I, it was outstanding. Um, Jason, who was your who was your favorite superhero? Like either either their name or their power or the like animation that went with them. Uh, Buckmeyer as I, I think they called him like Captain Professor, B or something. Professor B. Professor, Professor B. That, that was it. Um, and it was sort of a it was a Doctor Strange. It was a ripoff of Doctor Strange, but with all the different arms. And if you looked, he had all kinds of cool things in each one of his different arms. It, that was that was great. That was my favorite of, of all the superheroes. I really hope that for the comic. I mean, just I agree. I think it's probably the one of the best posters that I've seen since I started at Duke back in 2000. It's that great. I hope that they can continue that during the year. Maybe like have a post, like a year end yearbook that is a comic book of the season that includes these characters. It'd be great if they could use this to kind of parlay into the like into something that sums up the season at the end. My two comments on the poster. One, I thought that the animation of Matthew Hurt looked too much like Jack White. <laughs> Did you? I, I don't know if any of you guys thought that, but I looked at it and I was like, who is that? Jack well, White I, I graduated. Yeah, I, I will note that when the animation of Matthew Hurt came up, I said to myself, well, that just looks nothing like Matthew Hurt at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, who's the who's the freeze guy? But I, I, I think we I think I, I, I figured that one out. And then my other comment was, was it too on the nose for Michael Savarino to just be slapping the floor? Like, was that was that too much? I don't know. Maybe. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> I like it was fun. I, I thought the poster thing was actually a very fun idea. I initially thought it was kind of silly. And then I was like, you know what? They actually put a lot of thought into like who the different guys were and, and what their and, and what their characters were. So I, I thought that was actually pretty fun. I mean, we should we should remember the primary audience for this is the players and the team, the students, potential Duke recruits. We are not the primary audience. Sam is the youngest of the three of us, and he's in his 30s. So you don't have to remind me. Man, <laughs> that was cold, man. Damn. Hey, hey, I'm in my 50s. Let's be clear. We are not the audience for this stuff. And and so it almost feels a little silly for us to be talking about it. There, there's no, it is not at all ironic that I found the the highlights of past Duke games that I remember vividly to be my, the stuff that I like the best because most of this stuff was not designed for people like me. I will say uh, another thing that I really liked. There's a couple of things. One, I really, I think the best part of the video was the laugh now, cry later remake of the Drake video that they did uh, because when I've seen, and, and this is, you're, you're talking about some things that we can relate to. I can definitely relate to this. When I saw the Drake video for the first time over the summer, I was like, man, they could do this on like a college campus. That'd be really cool if they could do that on a college campus instead of, because it was set at the Nike campus. And now they did it at Cameron. And, and really just, there is your basketball right there. You know, they had a couple of those. They had, you know, Buckmeyer throwing, trying to throw touchdown passes in the Yo building. Like they had, they had a lot of stuff in it, but really it brings me to what I thought was the most surprising thing. Coach K has got some swag. He found some over the summer and he displayed it a lot in this video. Like, so you, you see him uh, pull down, pull down. The, he's talking on the uh, on, on the on the phone. He pulls down his mask. Oh, baby, like he does that part. But really, 
it's just the fact that he's in the video because before you would never see him in these this type of stuff you'd never see him like, interact like that but then you also in the in the cartoons when they had the like cartoon intro that they're going to be i think using at uh for intros to the to the starting lineups you see him holding up his rings and it and, and sitting on the throne there's a, yeah, there's there's a, a goat, goat at his feet the so goat was freaking hysterical. The throne, well, the throne is made of the NCAA titles. He's also holding up his gold medals. Like, the, like he, I know they didn't come up to him. They didn't put that in there if he didn't want that in there, right? So you could tell he was kind of like, yeah, you know what? Flex on him a little bit. So I see you, coach. I appreciate the fact that, you know, after 40 years, you're like, okay, now it's time for me to flex a little bit because you earned that a long time ago. Hey, my last thing on all of this is, and and again, you know, I feel I'm so old school. I, I really like the brotherhood shout outs at the end. And I have two things I want to point out, you know, from the former Dukies. Uh, I guess you're Dukies forever. You're part of the brotherhood forever. That's part of the message here. Mason Plumley did his shout out in front of a wall of Duke posters that was impressive. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sure sorry. I'm sorry. I got to interrupt. Yes. Detroit Piston. Mason Plumley, please go ahead. Yes, I will continue now. You're correct, Donald. Yes, Detroit Piston, Mason Plumley. By the way, he's got other Dookie Piston teammates. We're going to get into this. We're going to get into the NBA. The Dookies moving around the NBA, not this episode, but in a future episode. But anyway, Mason Plumley does his shout out in front of a wall of Duke posters. I'm guessing this is his parents' house, and each one of those posters have you know him and his brothers. Many, many, many years of Plumleys at, at Duke University. But but I thought that was impressive. And then um, Frank Jackson does his shout out in front of four Duke t-shirts, including a 1991 Final Four t-shirt. There has to be a story about what is Frank Jackson doing with a 1991 Final Four t-shirt? That was amazing. This was my favorite part of the video. I, I, I look for the, the weird stuff that is entertaining. My favorite thing in the video was Frank Jackson's Duke t-shirt collection. And it would have been even better if he wasn't wearing a Michael Jordan t-shirt. Unfortunately, he was. But he did have an extremely cool collection of Duke t-shirts, all of which I would steal from him if I had the opportunity. They're we, also, we, I mean, I mean, just amongst all of them, right? Just the shirts that they're wearing. There's some shirts that you like, yeah, I love that shirt. That's one of my favorite shirts. And then there's like, I hang on, I don't have that shirt. How do I get that shirt? Trey Jones, like, or, or Tyus, like, oh, how do I get those the, shirts? You know what I mean? The, so, the Tyus shirt. Brotherhood shirt. Yeah, the Tyus shirt is The great. Tyus shirt was boss. I want that. I don't know where he got that t-shirt. That was he, a cool looking t-shirt. He got that from the Brotherhood. We, we can't get that. Yeah, that, that ain't available to the rest of us. That was a cool looking t-shirt. So that, that's all I got on Countdown. I thought the backgrounds and the t-shirts, you know, <laughs> I'm a weird guy. That's what I look at. Well, we hope that everybody else had fun watching it. We also hope that we actually get to see some basketball coming soon speaking of we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back it's the annual stats prediction game where we talk about basketball stick around Welcome back. We are going to get right into the stats prediction game. This is the way that we have done the sort of overall season preview the last few years. We think it's more fun than, than just walking through each of the players. We get to talk about them all individually at varying points anyway. So why don't we get right into it? I will remind everyone that Donald Wine is our reigning champion in the stats prediction game. 
in the 2019-2020 season, the weirdest season that ever was and hopefully ever will be, although this season may be may may well be weirder given the inevitable delays and cancellations that are going to happen, which are, I'm sure, going to color the outcome of the stats prediction game, which is only going to make our guesses more terrible. And that's kind of the goal here. So let's get right into it. The way this works is I have a set of categories. I have sent them to the others ahead of time. So we've all got our notes prepared and we'll walk through each of the categories. We'll enter in our guesses and we'll track them through the season. And at the end of the season, we will review what happened in the stats prediction game and hand out winners. Does that sound, does that sound like a plan to everybody? We're Sounds good. Like a plan to me. We're good. Do everybody it. ready go to for lose? It. All right. Fantastic. We will start with our first category, as always, is most points. Who will score the most points this season? Jason, I will give this one to you first. Okay. And by the way, I want to be clear. We will alternate who goes first, second, and third, because I don't want to always be going first and give it away to you guys. That is totally fair. Because totally I fair. have all the right answers. We already wrote them down. The right so, or maybe some of them. Yeah, I've got, mine, I've got mine in, a, in an Excel sheet right here. Yeah. Uh, most points, I, I think this is a two-way race. Matthew Hurt. And Wendell Moore, to me, are the only real contenders I have in this category. Um, And and boy, I I came close to picking Wendell Moore, but I'm going to go with Matthew Hurt. We've heard consistently he's been the leading scorer in practice. Uh, So I'm I'm taking Matthew Hurt for most points. All right, Donald, who do you have? I also went with Matthew Hurt. I think it's going to be a closer battle than we think between uh, Matthew Hurt, Wendell Moore, and Jalen Johnson. Uh, I do think that Jalen Johnson will be in contention for that, but I do think it'll be within 50 points. Matthew Hurt wins. I agree with both of you, unfortunately. So we all picked Matthew Hurt, which means this category is a wash, but I agree with Donald. I think that Jalen Johnson is in this conversation. And I actually think that the, at the end of the year, the top scorers are going to be hurt Johnson and then more. So that's my, that's how I think this is going to shake out. Let's get, wait, 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 wait. Seeing as we all agreed, can we, Let's do second leading score. Second, I'll, second, I'll, second leading score. Go for it, Jason. Uh, when, I, think like I, said, I, think, I think it's Wendell Moore. Yeah. And Donald, who do you have for second uh, leading score? Because I want to make this an, a, a battle. I'm going to go Jalen Johnson. All right. So Donald and I have Jalen Johnson. Jason has Wendell Moore. Nobody wins if, if somebody other than Matthew Hurt <laughs> comes in first place. So I'll take, I'll take all those as notes. With that, we will move to our second category, which is most rebounds on the season. And we'll do this. So Donald will go first this time, and then I'll go first for the third round, and then it'll it'll repeat back to the top. So Donald, give me your pick for most rebounds this season. I also think this is going to be a really close battle. I'm going with Jalen Johnson for the sheer fact that I think he's going to play more minutes than some of the other contenders out there. And because of that, he's going to have more opportunities to get more rebounds. So I'm going to go Jalen Johnson. All right. I am picking the same Jalen Johnson Jason Evans, who do you have for this one? We are so boring. Yeah, I have also got Jalen Johnson. So far, all Jalen Johnson. We don't have to do the second place thing for everything. I am sure we'll have differences down the road. So we've all got Jalen Johnson. Let's go to most blocks, which I am going to kick off. I am picking Mark Williams for this one. I think that there is an interesting discussion that's going to happen around centers and big men and the number of minutes played. And we have a few categories that kind of touch on these things. So I've got Mark Williams as being the leading block shots guy on this team. Jason, who did you pick? I think that even if he only plays about, you know, 10 to 15 minutes per game, Mark Williams will lead the team in block shots. He's that much of a uh, rim protector. 
Donald, please tell me you have Mark Williams. I do have Mark Williams. We're so, so we boring. <laughs> Look, the the I'm sure we'll all end up being wrong. That's what's that's what's such a joy about all of this. All right, most assists. This is the one every year that I feel like we are most confident that we will get the same player because there's usually a starting point guard. However, on this team, I think you could argue for a few different guys. I will let Jason kick this one off. So, Jason, who do you have for most assists on this team? Uh, boy, uh, Roach. I'm I'm really tempted to pick Jeremy Roach, but but I'm going with Jordan Goldwire. Uh, I, you know, I've taken nothing but the obvious so far. I'll t- go the obvious again. Goldwire leads the team in assists. And Donald, Jordan Goldwire is our leading returned assist man. Um, and the problem is, I think there's just too many guys that are going to do it. I think Jordan Goldwire wins this, but I think the number is low because we have a bunch of assists spread out amongst three guys. All right, here we go. I've got Jeremy Roach, and this is the first place that we deviate. So welcome to the game. I'm taking Jeremy Roach. The two of you are taking Jordan Goldwire. It's not a, bad, not a bad choice at all. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's a good pick. All right, here we go. Most steals. Donald is going first on this one. This is the, the last of the, the sort of big five categories. Again, I think there's a couple of people that are going to contend for this. Jeremy Roach, DJ Stewart, Jalen Johnson. But I am going once again with Jordan Goldwire in this category. And I am going to go second on this. I also have Jeremy Roach here. And I think that there are, that between him, Jordan Goldwire, and Wendell Moore, there are going to be a lot of steals on this team. I am going to talk at greater length about, about defensive performance and how I think that's going to, to drive the success of this team. But I'm going to take Jeremy Roach. I think he's ultimately going to play the most minutes on playing point guard, both on offense and on defense. So I just think that that gives him the most opportunities. Jason, what do you think? Uh, I, I think you're you're wrong. This this is going to be Jordan Goldwire's um, statistic. I, I I feel pretty confident about that one. Of, of all the picks we've made, in fact, I may be more confident about Jordan Goldwire leading the team in steals than any other pick we've made. All right. So moving on from that, here is one that, that we're actually going to get to a couple now that are percentage related that I think are going to be very interesting discussions. So the first is highest field goal percentage, and then we will do highest three point field goal percentage right after that. So I think there are a number of contenders that you could have in highest field goal percentage, given that we have so many different, it's usually a big man who, who gets this, this, uh, this honor because it, it often comes from somebody who's got a lot of layups and dunks and not somebody who's shooting from outside as much. Given that I'm actually going to take Matthew hurt. I think that he's going to take a lot of three pointers, but I also think he's going to be a much more efficient scorer this year. We've heard a lot about his development over the off season, and I think he's going to be the focal point on offense. So to the same point of him being the highest point getter, I think he's also going to be the most efficient scorer on this team. I think scoring is going to revolve around Matthew hurt this year in a way that we haven't really seen around this kind of big man. I don't know. Was Jason Tate, them in this way, perhaps his freshman year, there, there usually aren't guys like this who are the leading scorer for Duke, but I think it's going to be Matthew Hurt. Jason, what do you think? Mark Williams is going to have the highest field goal percentage on the team. I would say 80 plus percent of his shots will be taken within three feet of the rim and probably 30 to 40% of those will just be dunks. So I think Mark Williams is going to easily lead the team in, in field goal percentage. And I think that's a, that's a great pick. Donald, what do you, what do you think here? Yeah, I think with with the fact that his his radius is going to be no more than six feet from the basket, uh, 
is going to be Mark Williams. Mark Williams, I think if he touches the ball outside of 10 feet, you can be safe that he's probably not going to shoot it. Uh, he's going to wait until he gets inside six feet because I, I feel like at six feet, he can dunk it because his arms are that long. But otherwise, I mean, otherwise he's, he's laying it in uh, or doing a jump hook. I think it's going to be Mark Williams. So, so far you guys have not disagreed on anything. Wow. Me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but, but, but so far Donald and Jason are in lockstep. I am, I'm not we, with you. We on disagreed on the second leading score. That's right. That's right. On the second <laughs> leading score. All right. Let's do highest three point field goal percentage. Jason, you've got this one first. Uh, I'm going Joey Baker. Just, so, I, just, so yeah, from a, last to me, year, it's just an easy choice. Joey Baker, Joey Baker and Matthew hurt were one and two last year and they were neck and neck. So keep that in mind, Donald, who have you got? I agree with you, Jason, that I think that Joey Baker is one of those guys that is up there, but he's not going to win. Jeremy Roach is going to win. That's what I got. Wow. Oh, wow. Wait, real? That is a bold pick. That's a very bold pick. I'm also, you know, you, you, know you have Joey to have Baker. a couple of bold ones in there. And I think that's one where if he, you know, if he's attempting like three or four a game and he makes three of them, he's going to be, up well, there. then he would be the greatest <laughs> three point shooter ever. That's my man. Go ahead, Roach. Do it. Then he would be, then he would be Steph Curry. So Dude, that's that fine. Would, it's fine. Yeah, it's awesome. If we have Steph Curry, we're winning a national championship. Hey, Steph, I think you got a year of eligibility left, right? Come on back. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I do have <laughs> I, I, I do have Joey Baker in this category. So so I agree with Jason and and Donald is the is the lone ranger here with Roach. All right. We're going to get to Jason's favorite category. And unfortunately, he's not going first this time. He's actually going to go last, which I guess is fitting. Most free throw attempts, which which Jason tells us repeatedly is the biggest indicator for him. So we're going to go who on the team is going to have the most free throw attempts. Donald wine. Let's hear your thought. Well, I think Jason likes the field goal attempt category. That's the one for, for team. I'm the one that's kind of big on free throw attempts and making sure that you make more than your opponent's attempt. I do think the guy who has the most attempts this year is Wendell Moore. I think this is also going to be close because I think there's some guys who are going to get fouled a lot. I think Jeremy Roach should get fouled a lot going driving the lane. I think Matthew Hurt and Mark Williams will also get fouled a lot. But I think Wendell Moore is going to have that. He, he can be fouled from outside. He's going to dribble drive. He's going to get some opportunities, and I think it's going to be him. Donald, I'm with you. I think that it's Wendell Moore, and I'm sorry for the, for the mistake on field goal percentage versus free throw percentage, So or, or free throw attempts, rather. I also agree with you that it's going to be Wendell Moore. I think that his game lends itself most to, to getting fouled. He's going to be driving a lot. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, I think, even though he's not the point guard. So, so I see Wendell Moore getting the most free throw attempts. Jason, how do you feel on this category? Yeah, I, I, the reason I told you I wanted to include it was I, this is another one where I was virtually certain of who would lead the team. I think it's absolutely going to be Wendell Moore. The little statistical reports we've gotten out of the blue-white scrimmages have always pointed out how many free throws that Wendell Moore is taking. Um, I, I won't be surprised if he averages more than seven free throw attempts per game, which would be a lot for a guy who's not like a post player. He's going to easily lead the team in free throw attempts. I'm sure of it. All right. So let's do field goal attempts. I didn't have it on the list, but now I'm realizing that it's an oversight. So I'm just going to kick off this category very quickly. Most field goal attempts on this team. I'm going to take Matthew hurt on account of him. I think scoring the most points and, and having a high percentage, but do either of you guys disagree with that? I'll go to Jason first. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, I, I think Matthew Hurt will have the most field goal attempts. I think that for the most part, while the offense is not going to run through any one player, I think they're going to try and get Matthew Hurt as many touches as they can. I think Jalen Johnson is going to have the most field goal attempts. I think 
if 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 Sam is absolutely right about Matthew Hurt being the most efficient player on this team, he's not going to have enough field goal attempts to match his scoring output. He's going to is going to be, you know, 10, 10 shots, 20 points, right? Jalen Johnson is going to be the one where I think there's going to be some nights where he shoots 20 shots and there's going to be some nights where he shoots 15, but he's always going to be up there amongst the leaders and, and field goal attempts. I think you've got Jalen Johnson pegged for something like an RJ Barrett season. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Where it's not as efficient as Zion, but he's still going to get his points. Exactly. All right. Let's let's move on. We we are done in categories where we are picking names, and now we are going to categories where we pick numbers. So the first one here: How many different players are going to lead Duke in scoring in an individual game? This one varies wildly by season, depending on how long the bench is and what the kind of scoring profile of the team is. So, Jason, I'll let you start us off on this one. So I'm going to say there will be six six different players that will lead Duke in scoring at some point this season. Venture and, to guess who they are. Is that a requirement? Because no, no but, I, I, but I don't but, know. But give it a shot. Or rather, who's most likely to lead the team in scoring on a given night? I mean, I think each one of the five presumed starters will lead us in scoring at some point. Jordan Goldwire sort of is the least likely of those five to. And by the way, the, the five starters, I think we all know at this point, are are Hurt, Moore, Roach, Johnson, and Goldwire. That that's been spoken about by the coaches a, a, a good bit. Um, so I think each one of those guys will have a turn at some point. And then I think DJ Stewart is the other guy who will, uh, have a turn leading the team in scoring. I, I, you know, I would love to be, I'd be delighted to be surprised and, and for, you know, Joey Baker or even Henry Coleman or someone like that to, to rise up. But I think that probably it's six, six guys. Donald, who do you have? Or I, what do you have? I guess I go with five. Uh, I, I think. You, you said Jordan Goldwire is the least likely to be that. I don't think he's the guy that gets there. Uh, I think my five, I think, is going to be more hurt. Johnson Roach and Joey Baker will go off one game uh, from the three-point line, and he will have a, the leading score. And, it, and if you look at some of these scrimmages, those are the five guys that have popped up. I think Donald has the right idea here, but I'm going with Jason's number of six, which is to say I don't think Jordan Goldwire ever leads the team in scoring, but between Joey Baker, DJ Stewart, and then – all the, the 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 big men who are on the bench, Henry Coleman, Mark Williams. May, I don't think Patrick Tepay ever leads the team in scoring in a game, but but among all those guys, I think you've got two of them that that will do it. So I'm going with six, which is Jason's number, but a slightly different explanation for it. Speaking of the big men, I want to talk about Mark Williams. How many games do you think Mark Williams is going to start this year? And and as we think about, we're going to do two of these types of questions, one about Mark Williams and one about DJ Stewart, which is to say, how much is Coach K going to tinker with the lineup? Because I see, and you guys could disagree with me, I see Stewart and Williams as being the two guys who are most likely to enter the starting lineup at some point, given the given their specific skill sets and what the team might need on a given night. So Donald, I'll start with you. How many starts does Mark Williams get this year? So Mark Williams, I think is going to get five. And I think five, because it's not necessarily because he's going to be tinkering with the lineup over and over. Mark Williams is the energy guy on this team. He's going to be a guy that's going to factor into every game because of his energy. And there's going to be some nights where coach K says, we need that energy from the opening tip. And he's done it a lot where we'll, I mean, he started Patrick Davis in a game. So you have this opportunity uh, where you're like, Hey, I need energy. This guy has it. He throws him in the starting lineup. So I think there's five times this year where Mark Williams is in the starting lineup, but I think he's one of those guys that features 
heavily into every single game. So, so Donald, you think Mark Williams is, because I, I feel like everything we've heard, Henry Coleman is the energy guy, but you know, that's, that's a different conversation. It's not part of the stat game. I'm, I'm this sort might of surprised just be a high energy team. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm, I'm taking six and a long similar thought process that Donald has. I just think there are going to be a couple of games where it's important for him to be playing more. And I feel like there are more opportunities for stumbles among the two sort of quote unquote big men that are in the lineup, which is Johnson and hurt. I feel like they might, end up having like a streaky night or two, which would necessitate coach K wanting to put Mark Williams in, or just because we're playing a big team and, and that's what the, that's what the matchups dictate. So I'm taking six. So I went with four, the, the least of, of any one of us. And, and I think it's because I think there may be some games where some guys, you know, banged up a little bit. Yeah. Look, it, it is not easy to play the entire season without having injuries. And I think Williams sort of is probably the first guy but I wanted to hedge myself a little bit. I actually think that there may be some games against bigger opponents, you know, who have potent big men. And I think Coach K may start Patrick Tepay in those games um, if he feels like he needs a, a big man because Tepay is very experienced and we've heard good things about his defense, his ability to defend the, the pick and roll and things like that. That uh, I, I, I actually think that Williams's starts will be limited a little bit by the fact that Patrick Tepay may may sneak in there every now and then. Which leads us then to total number of starts for the guard, I presume to be first off the bench. So we kind of have an idea that it's more Goldwire and Roach in the various starting guard slash wing positions. And so I want to talk about the number of starts that DJ Stewart gets. In some years, Duke's got the same backcourt starting every night. Some years, Coach K mixes it up. It's very easy to, to bring these guys in and out. It really depends on who's streaky, all these different things. I've got DJ Stewart, though, pegged for only three starts this year. I just see the combo of Roach Moore and Goldwire working really well together. I think that they complement each other well. I think that this team could be very strong on defense and that Coach K is going to want to have a defensive-minded starting lineup, which leads me to believe that DJ Stewart is not going to get as many starting attempts um, or starting opportunities. So I'm going with three. Jason, what do you have here for number of DJ Stewart starts? I've also got three, and and I agree with all your rationale there. In fact, the reason I almost said zero, not that I don't think DJ Stewart is an outstanding player, but uh, I, I went with three because I think figure a they may be a nagging injury or something at some point that affects one of those guys, uh, you know. But but I I I think Roach, Goldwire, and Moore are you can pencil those guys in. You can almost pen them in as the as the stars in the backcourt. I think that after this season, there's going to be a very interesting discussion about who stays. I mean, this happens every year, who stays and who goes. If both Jeremy Roach and DJ Stewart are back at Duke next season, I don't know that that's likely, but if they're both back next season, there's going to be a lot of talk about them being one of the best backcourts in the country because they're both going to be really dynamic players for Duke when the time comes. Donald, what do you have for DJ Stewart's starts? I have five as well for him. I think, once again, I think there's going to be times where Coach K wants a different look. I'm not saying that the look, the the lineup of Goldwire, Roach, and Moore isn't the best one out there. I, I think that is. I think we're all in agreement there. I just think there's times where Coach K is going to say, you know what, like, I want to see what Stewart can do against this. I think Stewart matches up well with this guy that we're facing. So put him in the starting lineup from the jump. I think there's just going to be a few times where we, where we do that. I say five. 
All right. Here's one that I think we're going to have a lot of fun with, which is Henry Coleman's total minutes. And you could, I, I tried to do a little bit of research on this, on figuring out how many guys play certain minute thresholds in the last few years at Duke to try to find patterns. Every year is so different. So that was kind of a, a dirt road for me, but I'm going to start with Jason. Jason, how many minutes do you think Henry Coleman, our presumed like favorite player who may not get much playing time ever, is going to get on this team? I think you're going to be surprised at my number. I went with 350. I think Henry Coleman's going to average 10, 12 or so minutes per game. He just brings too much energy. We just hear too much about him impacting the game. I, I, just, I just have this sense Coach K is going to find a way to get those energy minutes for him every single game that they can. So I went 350 on Henry Coleman. That may be a little high, but that's my number. Donald, what do you have? So I calculated this. If we win the national championship, that means we will have played 36 games this season. Usually it's 40. So this, this factors into another category that we normally have. But I looked at that and I agree with Jason when I say he probably gets around averages around 10 minutes a game. That is 360 minutes. And that's what I have. I am more bullish on Henry Coleman than either of you. I have him over 400 minutes this season because I think that Coach K believes too much in in a defensive mindset, and that is what they're saying Henry Coleman brings to this team. He brings energy. He brings force. Shoot, his his avatar in the superhero thing was of, like, basically the Incredible Hulk carrying a shark. So I think everyone is super high on Henry Coleman. I have him at 415 minutes. You know that what? I went impressive. back. And, that's a that's a that's aggressive, but I also went back and forth on that because I think with regards to these centers, uh, and you're going to get into one in just a second. It was, it literally it was just like, who do I think is going to play more? And I really like went back and forth. So with that, we're going to talk about total minutes for another player that has come up a couple times as being sort of an intriguing member of the team, and that's Patrick Tapay, of course, the the graduate transfer center who is coming to Duke from Columbia University, Donald. How many minutes do you think Patrick Tapay plays this year, knowing that you've already pegged Henry Coleman for a big number? So, again, I tried to go back and forth and say, how many minutes do I think he's going to play a game? I think because of his experience, I think he plays a little bit more than Henry Coleman. Again, I took that 36 number, 36 games. We want to win national championship, and I multiplied it by 12 minutes per game. That is 468, which you're thinking, wow, that is a big number. But when you factor it in that way, it doesn't seem that big. I am not as enthusiastic about Patrick Tepe's odds of playing this season. I just get this feeling like we are a little too excited for him. So I've got him pegged at 224 minutes. Jason, what do you have? So when Patrick Tepe was deciding on Duke, remember there was this whole moment that he, uh, you know, it was sort of announced he was coming to Duke and then, he backed out, and then a few days later, he, he, he changed his mind again and decided to come to Duke. And, and supposedly, one of the things that was happening there was the coaches were sort of trying to convince him, no, there's a role for you. There's an important role for you to play on this team. And that Patrick Tepay maybe doubted, you know, sort of what his role would be at Duke. I, I, I really fear that Patrick Tepay won't have a huge role for this team. I went with 250 total minutes. Um, I think that I think he'll he'll play 
he won't play in every game. I, I just think that's the reality. Uh, I, I, Coach K is not going to play 11 guys, and I think Patrick Tepe is one of those guys that's going to be on the outside looking in. I, it, look, we have three big men in Coleman, Tepe, and Williams that I think it's really hard to figure out what each one of them is going to, you know, what role each one of them is going to play. We feel like they are going to play a role. We don't know what it's going to be. And none of them even start. So I think big man minutes may be really tough to come by for those three guys. So speaking of minutes, I want to talk about the total number of players who are going to log over 300 minutes this season. Last year when we did this category, I did 150 minutes, which I think was just too low. I think 300 is is closer to the kind of in the rotation versus out of the rotation discussion. And w- the way we were just talking about Patrick to pay was kind of a discussion of, is he going to be in rotation or out of rotation? So let's, let's peg that number at 300 minutes. I will start on this one. I think that there are nine players who are going to play 300 minutes this season, but there's going to be a couple guys who are right around that number, which is going to make this interesting by the way, going back the last few years and this year may be different because of the pandemic. There may be, we know there are going to be fewer games. There may be a lot fewer games, but the last few years, here's the number of players who have played 300 minutes for Duke, just going in, in descending order, 10, nine, eight, seven, six, nine players who played 300 minutes in 2015. So this, this number actually swings around a little bit depending on the makeup of the team. Jason, who do you have, or how many players do you have playing 300 minutes this season for Duke? So because there are going to be fewer games this year, and look, by the way, all these picks are so difficult because of the number of games. Um, It is entirely possible, maybe even probable, that Duke will have at least one or two games canceled because of the coronavirus. I think that's pretty likely. And then there's the postseason. Look, we could could play one game in the ACC tournament, one game in the NCAA tournament. We could play nine games in those two tournaments. It, It changes these calculations tremendously. I went with eight. I went with eight players logging 300 minutes. Um, if that number had been a little lower, if you'd taken that down to 250 or so, I might have been up at 10. But I think 300 is a little higher threshold with us missing some games, with us just not knowing how deep this team will go. That was my number eight. And Donald? This is the one where I'm bullish on. This is, this is my 100-point uh, performance a few years ago. Say 11. Say 11. No, I'm not going 11. I'm going 10 because really I think the 10th person was going to be Henry Coleman. I think uh, Jamin Brakefield is the one scholarship player that does not get above 300 minutes. So I'm going with 10. And I also, because I I agree with you, I think there are going to be some games that that could be canceled, but I'm thinking long-term here. I'm thinking national championship, thinking number six. And to do that, you have to play – X amount of games and X amount of games means you can have more opportunity to get to 300 minutes. So we're going to get to a category now that Jason is going to kick off. And I'm glad that he is because I think he schooled the crap out of us in this one last year, which is the total number of points scored by walk-ons because both Donald and I failed to acknowledge that two of the three walk-ons last year were going to be redshirting, which right. made a huge <laughs> difference. So, so Jason really wiped the floor with us. Jason, how many total points will be scored by walk-ons this year? So it, this is really difficult, and, and I'll give you two reasons why it's really difficult. One is there hasn't been as much of a preseason. There aren't going to be as many sort of um, – there aren't as many regular season non-conference games for Duke to – you know, for Coach K to, to figure things out. So I think he may be more reluctant to play the walk-ons as much as he usually does. Um, but at the same time, 
the schedule has some real cupcakes on it. I mean, they're going to be those games where the walk-ons are going to get in there because we're winning by 40 with, you know, four minutes, five minutes to go. So my number is sort of a compromise of both of those. I went with nine points, nine points total by the walk-ons. That may be a little aggressive, but that's my number. All right, Donald, let's hear it. So I, I factored in some of that, but I factored in this. I think because of the pandemic, I think because of the fact that we have a lot of games in short order and we also have, we, we have that uncertainty of when you play, you don't know if you're playing that next game because of COVID. I think that the walk-ons, if there's an opportunity to get them in the game to rest some guys, they're going to get that chance in more games than not. I think because of that, they're going to have more opportunities to shoot, but they're not going to make a lot of them. I think the answer is 10. I think 10. And I think six of them come from two three-pointers from Michael Savarino. All right. I am way more optimistic about the walk-ons than you guys are this year. I have them at 20 points, which was a calculation of there are five games against non-power conference teams this season. So those are the games that walk-ons are most likely to get into. And I pegged them for four points in each of those games. So that's probably overstating the number of points they score in those non-conference games. And it's probably understating the number of points they score in the couple of really bad ACC games that Duke is going to play in. So I've got 20 points for the walk-ons. I'm just in a a different universe for you guys. So I I really want to take this category this year because this is one of the indicators for how good the team actually is. If, if the walk-ons are scoring a lot of points, it means that everything else is going right for Duke. Okay, we will get now. Oh, th- th- this worked out perfectly in the order of, of who's doing which category first. Yes, yes. We will get to the Donald Wine. It's not the memorial. The Donald Wine celebration category. How many games will Duke score 100 points this season? Donald, you get to kick this one off, my friend. 30. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's not it. Um, so last year, we had two. And one of those was in a loss. Okay. This year, I think there are more opportunities for us to score a hundred points. I think because of the way, like I just mentioned this last category, because of the way this is shaping up, I don't think we get to a hundred, but three times. And I think that's because there's going to be some times we get to 90 and the coach says, clear, clear the bench. Let's, let's rest everybody. We got another game coming up in a couple days. And because I don't think the walk-ons are going to score as many points this year as, as Sam does. I think that we get to a hundred just three times, but I think two of those times are in the early, the non-conference part of the schedule. I do think we hit it once in postseason play. I think coach K lets the guys do it only once. And then after that is like, we can't expend any extra energy. We can't have guys, going out there and and doing too much this season because of the uncertainty. So I've got one hundred point performance. And I'm splitting the difference between the two of you guys. I've got two. Uh, uh, We have some really easy opponents. um, And I think we have a really, really deep team. And so when we go sort of further and further down that bench from, from the quote unquote regulars, there's still going to be guys who can really do things on the floor. And that's why I think that Duke will get to hundred points twice The next category is one that gets us a little bit into advanced metrics, although it doesn't get us deep into the advanced metrics, which is Duke's Ken Palm rating on the defensive side at the end of the 
regular season plus ACC tournament. So at the time of the selection show, what is Duke's defensive Ken Palm rating? Which personally, I and I I don't have the like exact correlation here, but I feel like from the last few years, it's very important to be a good defensive team going into the tournament so that your team is able to just to just adapt to whatever the situation is. We've seen Virginia win a national championship recently where they're both great at defense and at offense, but that team starts on the defensive end. It starts with, with that pack line. And I think that defense is key to winning championships these days. So I will go first on this one. I think that Duke is going to be the eighth ranked team in the country in defensive Ken Palm rating at the end of the season. Jason, what are you feeling? So I'm very close to you. I think that throughout most of the season we'll be in the teens, but this team will get better on defense as the year moves on. I've got us ninth in defensive efficiency. And I also went with eight because I do think we are going to be a much more improved. I thought we were very good defensively last year. I think we're going to be much improved this year. Uh, and I think that'll move us into that top eight category. Speaking of the team's overall performance, I want to talk about road games because this is one of those topics that that Duke fans love to talk about every year. We have obviously one of the best home court advantages in the country during normal times. On the road, games are usually pretty lit when when Duke is in town because it's Duke. This year, if there are fans at any of these games, there are not going to be very many of them. If, if teams are allowing it and there's a chance that Duke plays in front of no fans this season, depending on how coronavirus goes at various ACC institutions. So how many road wins is Duke going to rack up this season? Also, given all the schedule uncertainty, Jason, take this one first. So it should be worth noting that there's not a single non-conference game on the road this year. <laughs> in fact, uh, I, I think... I don't even think we have a single neutral game, uh, uh, you know, in the non-conference season this year because Michigan State is playing us in Cameron. Uh, I am I am going to go ahead and say Duke will have seven road victories. I think that we will lose three times on the road in the ACC. Boy, I almost said eight. In fact, I'm almost tempted now that I'm saying it to change it to eight, but I'll go with seven road victories for Duke. I was really hoping you were going to change it to eight because I also had seven. For, for all the reasons you said. I think this season is going to be bumpier. And there, so there are a couple of hard games that Duke definitely has on the road. North Carolina, Louisville, who is probably going to be good this season. They don't have that many other tough games on the road. But I think the disturbances of this season are just going to make every road trip a little bit more stressful. So I actually have Duke pegged at five road wins this season. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not, as, not as confident about this one. I think well, I, I think on that category and and. and you check me if, if this was different for you, Jason. I think for me, a lot of the times when we lose on the road is because the crowd and the, and, the, and the atmosphere is so intense and we don't match that intensity. And I think it's the same for people that come to Cameron. I think that's going to be a lot different this year. And I think on the road, we will have that opportunity to match the intensity because we're used to exactly the same thing uh, as, as the other team. I am excited to see how different teams treat their home games this year if they don't have fans in the stands we did see uh, uh, pictures the other day from duke basketball about the setup that they have in cameron with the with the the player benches which are isolated from each other and from the scorers table which is now on the other side they've got the the pictures of the crazies that are in the student section and, and they're they're kind of 
they're kind of all like blanketed with, with these photos and some, and some blue lining. It looks pretty cool. I don't know that it's intimidating at all. I don't know what the noise profile is going to be in Cameron during these games, but I am excited to see what different schools set up for their quote unquote home games this year. And I do appreciate that they just to deviate from the top for a sec, for a second to talk about that. I do think that it's cool that Duke gave a shout out to the crazies in that setup there because it, we are the six man and, and the, the crazies are the six man. Everyone that usually goes to Cameron, they, they are part of that. And I think it's cool that they are recognized in that because some schools aren't going to do that. It's, it's very clear that Duke put that first and foremost, make sure that when any team walks into the, into the gym, even our team, they know that the crazies are there behind them. All right. I want to deviate from Duke for one category and talk about the ACC. We did this category last year and I think we all were going to, to overdo how many ACC teams made the NCAA tournament. So I'll ask you guys again this year, how many ACC teams will make the NCAA tournament? I guess this is sort of the precursor to our ACC preview, which we'll do in a couple weeks. Donald, you go first. I went with seven. And the reason why I went with seven is because I think this year, the committee is going to lean heavily on the power five conferences because a lot of the mid-majors, are not playing non-conference games or they're playing very few. So that's very only thing they can take is their conference record, which isn't going to be enough to get them over some of these power five teams. So I do think seven get into the dance. I've got six and I feel like you might be more directionally correct in terms of the committee overweighting power five teams, just because the, the mid-major teams, one, are less likely to just play games and two, are less likely to play competitive games. But, but I've got it at six. I'm not, I'm not really high on a lot of the teams in the ACC. So while there may be more power conference teams, they may be coming from other conferences like the Big, Twen, <laughs> the Big Ten and the Big 12 in the SEC. Jason? Uh, so you're both wrong. The answer is eight. And the eight teams will be Duke, UVA, Louisville, UNC, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Miami, and either Syracuse or Clemson. But those will be the eight teams that will make it from the ACC. And you guys are correct. Did you the, say the, Georgia Tech? I did say Georgia Tech. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Just checking. All right. Curious. Uh, but by the way, you guys are correct that the, the smaller conferences, the mid-majors, are going to struggle to get noticed in a way they haven't in the past. And that will mean that there will be more bids for the big conferences like the ACC and, uh, and that's why I think you will see eight ACC teams in the tournament. For our last category, we are going to predict how many games Duke will win this season. So the pandemic affects this in a couple ways. First of all, as we all know, normally in a year where Duke makes both the national championship and the ACC championship, they play 40 games. That number is down to 36 this year. So 36 is the maximum number of games they could even play. On top of that, the pandemic has the potential to cancel games. We've seen teams already canceling and rescheduling games that very well could happen to Duke either in conference or out of conference this year. So that also limits it. With those thoughts in mind and knowing that everything is different with the, the home court environments and, and just much more is up in the air, how many games do we think Duke is going to win this year? I have them at 26 and I actually think that that, given that I have them losing five road games, that to me is Duke going pretty deep in both of the tournaments. I think that by the time the season ends, Duke is going to be in a position where they've got a lot of roster flexibility. They have a lot of different ways that they can match up with teams. And I feel good about Duke making 
big runs in both the ACC and NCAA tournaments. So I have 26 wins in a game where in a year where they happen to have a few more losses. Jason, what are you feeling for total wins for Duke this season? I'm I'm very similar to you. I I went with 27 total wins. I I think there will be a couple games that we lose at some point over the course of the season due to the coronavirus. Um, uh, So, so I've got us at 27, 30, I'm going with 30 and we're going to win a national championship. I, I mean, when it comes to this, again, 36 max games, if you're going to win the national championship, you're going to be, I don't think they've had a national champion recently, except for that UConn team that was under 30 wins uh, that won a national championship. I think to get to the national championship, I think any team is going to be right at 30 wins or, or over 30 wins. That's going to be us this year. So we've gone pretty long on this episode. We did have one email that came in yesterday that we did want to quickly address because I think it's an interesting thought process on, on how the season is going to look. So the email came from listener Ryan Fulton, who wanted us to each pick a stat that, that we're going to be following this season. He wanted us to do, I think, Ryan, we apologize. You asked it in a slightly different way. We're taking your suggestion as being, we're going to each pick a stat that we're going to be following. I'm going to give Jason the, the first opportunity. Jason, what's a team or individual stat for Duke that you are going to be tracking this season against Duke's success? Well, uh, Ryan pointed out, I, I am a, I, I'm a lover of field goal attempts. Um, as a way of measuring whether a team was efficient on offense, um, not so much efficient, but whether they were getting shots, because I just think that's so, so, so important. But if I have to pick one stat that I'm going to be watching throughout the year, I'm going to be watching Duke's Ken Palm defensive efficiency. I think that is truly important. I think this will be a good offensive team. How well they can play defense will be so important. So I'll be watching Duke's defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm, for a gauge of whether this team is succeeding or not. Donald, what's your stat for the season? Uh, for me, with apologies to defense, the, I believe that the national championship is won at the free throw line. And I think free throw percentage is a very big key. Usually teams want to aim between 75 and 80% as a team from the free throw line if they want to have any chance at winning a national championship. I'm going to be tracking that this year because I think if we can get above 70 to 75%, that means we're going to be a really good team. I like Jason's focus on defense. I was going to go with net turnover margin. I think Duke is has the potential to, one, create a lot of turnovers this year because of Wendell Moore and, and Jordan Goldwire being on the perimeter. I also think that Duke has the potential to turn the ball over a lot this year, given a lot of new guys in the lineup, and especially new big guys, have can have a hard time with with keeping the ball under control. So net turnover margin for me is is going to be the the factor this year. So thank you, Ryan, for the question. And we will certainly come back to this one periodically throughout the season. We've gone long, though, today, which tends to happen on the season preview show. So we thank you all for sticking with us. As always, if you have questions or comments for us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. If you leave a review for the show, and we have more time on another episode. Jason Evans might read your review on the program, so, so do that. We are so excited to have the season kicking off. We are nervous about how it's going to go, given all the things going on in this country, but we, we hope that Duke gets to play and win a lot of games this season. So for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. The long offseason is over. We are so excited for college basketball to be back this week. And with that, Duke fans, Take us home.
are recording. And I will also record locally just in case because that is what I have deemed as best practice. And I am also recording locally now. Same. By the way, Donald, it appears that your uh, video is not lagging anymore, which will be nice. It's early. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait. So was that an explanation for why you're not lagging or was that saying, oh, it'll lag. Just give it time. Just give it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so it's, 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 it's early in the recording. It's not it's early, early in the, the recording. It's early in the day. It's early in the morning. <laughs> being, like, being early in the day matters because um, there aren't as many people. neighbors online yet. Yeah. People yeah. aren't using. Well, if you're I'm sure Donald is pirating someone else's bandwidth. So he's got a, you know, they're yeah, not exactly. up yet. <laughs> well, really, really, my TV's off, which uses Internet, you know, my printers off which uses internet like i just i just woke up like the only thing is, that's being used right now is the computer is the is the as a as a non-church church goer i don't think about these things but i've just it just occurred to me that is like internet bandwidth getting sucked up a lot more on sunday mornings than it used to because the church going crowd are all now streaming services as opposed to like there just was no internet usage before on sunday mornings now there's probably a ton of it so yeah. it used to be an inefficiency that we were taking advantage of to be recording now, but mm-hmm. we've we've lost that. Right. Every too many people are on the internet now. That's the problem. And the internet has not caught up. That's the yeah exactly. <clears throat> All right. Um, we broke the um, internet. The the. The coronavirus broke the internet. Among among all the things that it has broken in this in this world are the internet. 